Well, as we begin a new year, we're going to get back to Genesis. We've been working our way through Genesis and in the life of Abraham's where we left off before the Christmas season. Um, but right now we're going to spend this week and next week talking about our personal vision and next week about our church's vision. We have two vision sermons a year and we try to do one of those in January just to remind us where we're headed and what God intends for us and what our vision looks like heading into 2021 for ourselves personally but also as a church and then we'll get back to Abraham to the place where he reaches the graduate level of faith where he goes up and is willing to sacrifice his son Isaac the promised one later on this month but today I encourage you to take out your Bible and turn over to Titus chapter 2 Titus chapter 2 and I encourage you to take out the notes inside the program if you would like to Fill in the blanks for the outline. It'll help you remember things as we go through God's word. Titus chapter 2. This is a topical message. And we're going to look at how salvation is daily being born again. Titus chapter 2, the writer is the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 1, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. And likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Verse 4, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Verse 9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So that they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word. Well, 2020 has been a very unique year. And I, for myself, I've learned a couple things, probably two things that I want to hold on to as I move into 2021. That is to simplify things. You know, there's plan A, there's plan B, and then this year there's plan D, C, F, and whatever you want to continue on, right? And so not only to simplify, but also to be flexible. And I hope I carry those things on into whatever the new normal may look like down the road. But I miss traveling around this year. As many of you know, we were headed to Israel for a trip in March, just and then COVID hit, and we had to cancel that trip. And Missed out on entertainment, missed out on uh, other opportunities to travel and do things. Many of you have faced heartache this year. It started all in mid-March with the separation from our loved ones, for some people, and meant losing their loved ones to this pandemic. We still have a way to go in this war against the invisible enemy, but we can take heart and have hope because of God. And so I want this message to fill you with a certain hope for 2021, that God is ginormously in control. He is sovereign. He's on the throne. And he has put us here 
for this time in history. A great quote I came across this week. Father Richard Rohr said this, Hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. Isn't that great? We can't control what's happening around us, but we know the one who is. We can put our hand in his hand and let him take control of the future for us. And that gives us hope. Hope is the essence that allows us to bend beyond our circumstances. Hope has the ability to breathe air into a crushed heart and allow them to expand and to beat again. Hope creates room in our hearts for something more beyond ourselves. Hope gives us fresh eyes in the midst of our struggles. Hope gives us certainty in the midst of chaos and our personal relationships and the world around us and all its messy relationships that we see. Hope provides for us strong footing to stand on as we go against the tide of the culture, as we watch our country move away very quickly from Judeo-Christian roots. Kerry Niehoff, who's a pastor in Canada, says this, the last vestiges of Christendom may be slipping away in America, and that's not fatal to the church, not in the least. The collapse of Christian culture should bring out the best in us and not the worst. In Romans chapter 5, Paul, when he was facing a lot of uh, opposition and persecution, he gave us a list of things in verse 4. And endurance, perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're going to look at basically today five motives and attitudes for 2021 that will bring us untold blessing. Now, maybe for you, these are things you need to just sharpen up in your life. Maybe for others, it's putting on a new habit. And these five things, I've called them beatitudes. What does beatitude mean? What am I getting at when I say five beatitudes for 2021? Well, beatitude means supreme blessedness, exalted happiness. Supreme blessedness, exalted happiness. Think of the beatitudes. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, how to be blessed. He said that over and over and over again. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, Make sure you understand point one. The most important thing we need to constantly go back to as our number one priority and believer in Christ is to glorify God. Austin led us with the team. A couple songs talked about this thing of glorifying God. Be glorifying God daily. The short Westminster Catechism, question number one, says the chief purpose for which man is made is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how do you approach your mornings when you wake up? What's in the background of your mind? Do you think about what you plan to do that day, or you just kind of go with the flow of the events? Some of us are type A personalities like me, and you probably have your daytimer filled out before you go to bed or sometime the day before, and you have a plan. Other people just kind of get up if they're retired, especially maybe, and it's just kind of like go with the flow of events for the day. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your motives, your attitudes for the new day, regardless of what our personality is or our personality type. The aim of our focus is that all we do should be to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether therefore, or whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, Paul says it 
pretty much the same way. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So despite your vocation or lack thereof, despite your personality type, which, you know, we all have different ones, what is important is that whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. All our decisions, how hard we work, how creative we are, how we care about our body and our mind and our soul and spirit. The underlying goal must be to bring glory to God. Now, why is that so important? Well, one, you know, when we came to faith in Christ, we prayed that prayer or we crossed the line of faith and we received Christ as our Savior, God could have taken us to heaven. He didn't need us to carry out his kingdom work. But second of all, he left us here to carry out his kingdom work, but also to conform us and shape us into the image of Christ. And as we do that, it brings glory and honor to him. So what does it mean to glorify God? Well, I looked to someone who's written a lot on this, John Piper, and he talks about this to define what it means to glorify God is much like trying to define the word beauty. Now, it's hard to define the word beauty, but if I were to talk to you about basketball today, we all know that this is a basketball. We could turn on a TV and watch college or NBA basketball. We have a playbook, a rule book that we can look to and understand the rules of the game. We can describe to someone else how to play basketball. Maybe we've played it ourselves, and we know all about it. But when you get to the word beauty, or glorifying God, those are more abstract, more subjective terms. And so it's important that we define what that means. Glorify is like defining this object that's multifaceted and beyond ways to count. John Piper says this, glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect God's greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes, and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. Glorifying God is the ultimate, the absolute, the all-pervasive reason for being everything that we are and doing everything we do. The main focus in our lives should be this. The reason you should glorify God in everything is that God glorifies himself in everything. We don't have the time to study the why question today about why we do that, but we know that he is God that he reveals himself to us, which shows he's a personal God, that he's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to serve anyone else. And because he is the only true God, God is great. God is personal. He's worthy of our praise and our adoration and his created world as well. So to make this practical, we're to glorify him by our motives and attitudes, no matter what we do in our lives each and every day. Pain can cause us to value something else more than God by making us angry at God because of the pain that's in our lives. And it makes us want to be done with it more, and we want to embrace God. We choose pain, and we choose the relief of that pain over our desire to glorify God, which means that pain is a golden opportunity for us to glorify God by showing how much more we value him than we value comfort of being free from the pain. So one of the things that keeps us from glorifying God is realizing that pain removes comfort. Pain removes comfort. Satan has fed us a bill of goods. When we think the absolute default place God wants us to always be at is that of comfort. 
That truth, which is underlying and subconscious in most people, causes people to get mad at God when they're removed from their comfort. One of my pastor friends, a guy I went to school with at Liberty, he said the comfort zone is the danger zone. We're to live by faith, and comfort is a bonus. Paul sought to live for God by authentic faith, and it brought him trials. It brought him persecution. It brought him shipwreck. It brought him sleepless nights. It brought him prison and many other forms of suffering. And I'm not saying that to fully follow God, we cause continual pain into our lives and suffering, but it'll be like, but living for God is not like a rocking chair experience. I'm not saying we choose suffering or pain, but when it comes, what is, to, what is our attitude? How are we going to glorify God through us, through it? A second thing that distracts us is the pleasure. Pleasure distracts. Pleasure can also cause us to cherish something else more than God. Not by making us angry at God, but helping us to forget about God, to be distracted. And God, because we look at the fact that we're more satisfied with pleasures and the gifts that he gives us than the one who gives those gifts to us. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 16, where God says to Israel, And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the God, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty, and you played the whore because of your renown, and you lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. In other words, God gave Israel this great amount of beauty uh, for the world to see. That God was jealous for them. They were his chosen people, and he blessed them. But instead, they focused on the gifts or the beauty, not the giver. And as a result of that, God rebuked them. Now, there's nothing humanly wrong to want to be comfortable, to be pain-free, to enjoy pleasure. But when we have the choice of those things and they become more important than glorifying God by faith, we become disobedient. So remember this. Pain and pleasure are Satan's strategies that can ruin our glorification of God. We have to guard ourselves against that. We have to make sure that even in the pain, even in the difficult times, that we can glorify God through those experiences. That even when distractions of entertainment and other things come our way, we still, or the gifts that are given to us, we still give glory to God for providing those things for us. So our application here is make this your primary goal daily in 2021. Make this your primary goal daily in 2021. So how can God use your difficulties, your physical pain or ailments, your gifts, your life, being blessed to glorify God and point others to him? We often don't choose the pain or the illness or the the financial loss or you fill in the blank, but God can use any of us in any situation. People are watching and they're wanting to see how we respond in the midst of the difficulties of our life. And how we respond should be different from the way the world responds. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Second of all, in your outline, be transformed by God daily. This brings us back to the title of the message. Being daily born again. Being born again on a daily basis. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, and Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oswald Chambers 
translate this verse this way, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to help you erase two misnomers that many Christians believe, and I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. When by faith we are born again, when we are regenerated, when we uh, leave our sins and leave this kingdom of darkness and move into the kingdom of light and we repent from our sins. If we died at that moment, we would be in heaven. I believe in eternal security. And I point to the thief on the cross, even moments or minutes or who knows, an hour before his death, he came to faith in Christ and he was received in that way. But second, our salvation is a process that continues from our new birth experience. And this process of salvation will not be completed until we get to heaven. And God makes us fully in his complete image of his son. So daily, each morning as we wake up, God is continuing this conversion process, this transformation we call progressive sanctification until we breathe our last breath. We cannot attain perfection in this life nor fully come to the place where we can declare that Jesus is Lord of every area of our lives. However, we're to strive for that perfection with the help of God and his word and his Holy Spirit and by the choices that we make. Ephesians 4.24 says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul, realizing he hadn't reached the level of perfection, he said in Philippians 3, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. He has made me his own. So the continuous conversion takes you on the road to Jesus being Lord of your life. We're to be on that road. We're to be on that journey. We're to be in that process. Knowing we'll probably, we'll never make it. No one has ever made perfection in this life. But another way of saying is continuous conversion means that our natural life submits to the spirit of God then we are submissive to the spirit of God instead of giving in to our flesh, our feelings, that we cooperate with God in this process when we're asking God to fill us with his spirit daily, to be sensitive to sin and what sin is and what's going on against the natural tendencies of our life. We're to respond with the attitude and motive that keeps us to be made in the image of Jesus Christ. It's a book I read this past year. It's called The Slight Edge. Maybe some of you have heard of it. <clears throat> it's a really good book. It's, it's, I think the guy is a Christian, but it's really more about a business platform and about how that you can uh, take and put a daily habit in your life, one small habit change in your life on a daily basis or at least five days a week, and how over time it'll have tremendous value of change in your life. It's interesting, the Iowa Hawkeye football team, after losing the Tax Slayer Bowl in January of 2015, <clears throat> the coaches decided to change the culture of their players. And so they began to read this book together. And that year, in 2015, they went 8-0 in the Big Ten Conference. They were 12-2 and overall that season. The two games they lost were one to Michigan State in a close Big Ten championship game. And they lost to Stanford in the Rose Bowl. It made a significant change because they made incremental changes in their habits, in their daily lives. The application here is this. Join God in making the incremental changes to your life daily 
to conform us to Christ. Join God in that process. Let's make it easier by following and obeying and accepting what he brings our way so that we glorify him, but it also benefits us by changing us, as we said in Romans chapter 4, building character in our life that produces hope. The third beatitude is be disciplining your thoughts to Christ daily. Be disciplining your thoughts to Christ daily. Remember that your thoughts develop our attitudes, your attitudes and actions. Remember that your thoughts develop your attitudes and your actions. Proverbs 23, 7 in the King James says, For as he, a man, thinketh in his heart, so is he. You've heard this phrase before from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. Notice the incremental things that happen that produce big things in the end. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? Remember that our filter of discernment must flow through the word of God. What we think is what we become. What we think about turn into actions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul warns us, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Jonathan Hinkle, he's a a businessman, a, a leader, and he gives three distinct questions to ask for those who are in the workplace, in the workplace setting. In communication, what do you mean by that? Where did you get that information? How do you know that information is correct? These are questions to seek discernment for information and relationship in the workplace. Well, the Bible gives us some things for us to filter our thinking through in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So here's the questions. Is it true? Is what we're thinking about or contemplating doing, is it honorable? Is it just? Is it the right thing to do? Is it ethically right? Is it pure? Is it lovely and commendable? Is it the best thing I should think or do? So as we think about that verse, consider your reading intake, your media intake, your relational intake, the people you surround yourselves with. Because the Bible teaches he who walks with the wise will be wise, but he who walks with the fool will be a fool. What about your intake of scripture as you discern what is best and not settle for less? So the application here is determine the biblical mindset you will use to be the filter of discernment for what you will take in in your heart and your mind. We have to be constantly guarding and and thinking about what is it that I'm being presented with? Is this going to glorify God? And walk through Philippians 4.8 and think about those things. I've heard some men put a verse on their TV. I think it's found in Psalm 
100 that says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. So that as they watch TV, they're discerning and thinking about that verse. Am I going to watch this particular show? Well, staying in the Word consistently will help you spot counterfeit truths and keep you from following your feelings over truth. That leads us to our next beatitude, to be investing in the eternal daily. Are you investing in the eternal daily? There's only two things that are going to be in heaven that are here on earth, and that's God's Word and man's soul. And so what are we investing in with our time and our talents and our treasure? Neil Postman, in a 1985 book called Amusing Ourselves to Death, in a summary of that book, it says this, as Aldous Huckley remarked in The Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, George Orwell added that people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they're controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we fear will ruin us, and Huxley feared that what we desire will ruin us. This book is about the possibility that Huxley, not Orwell, was right. We have so many things. Just pull out your little phone. Think about all the things that can take you away from the here and now and uh, all kinds of distractions and things like that. And it's a great source in many ways. It depends on how we use it. But we're overrun with entertainment choices. You know, Disney Plus just opened probably about a year ago as a live streaming service. I see on one of our channels we watch, Discovery Plus is about to begin. Peacock just started a streaming service just a couple months ago. Hundreds of cable channels. Are we focused on all this world has to offer that we're missing out on what will count in eternity? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to enjoy the opportunities God has given it to each and every one of us. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6.17, he says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But God who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. It's a matter of perspective. What we do with that wealth, what we do with these opportunities that are before us. So two questions to ask for all of us to evaluate in this new year. Would you rather be rich in heaven or on earth? Would you rather be rich in heaven or on earth? Paul had everything he wanted. He had the equivalent to two doctor's degrees. He was high up in the Pharisaical ranking at the time before he was, came to faith in Christ, before he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. And he says in Philippians 3, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What's your heart's attitude going into 2021? Is it to know Christ more regardless of what that will mean to you? What changes you may have to make? What things you may look at differently with your time and your talent and treasures? Another question, how do you define wealth and success in this life? How do you define wealth and success in this life? Paul knew what it was to eat at the king's table and to eat steak. 
He also knew what it was to be in prison and have stale bread and water. And he said in Philippians 4, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He learned to be content. One of the most dangerous places we can live in is when we have everything going well for us. Our finances are going well. Everybody's health is well in our family and on and on. And we pretty soon we drift away and we start thinking it's us, not God. Or we could get bitter because we're poor. We're down and out. When's God going to bail me out of this financial situation, of this bad relationship or whatever? And Paul is saying, hey, don't let the circumstances around you dictate your attitude. Learn to be content because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Well, the application here is inheritance is what we leave for others, but legacy is what we leave in others. You know, we can leave a good monetary, materialistic inheritance to our kids. But more valuable, thinking of eternity and eternal values, pouring into them character qualities that will help them to be more like Jesus, to be God-like. Inheritance is what we leave for others, but legacy is what we leave in others. What are the eternal things you're investing in with your time, your talents, and treasure? And lastly... Be faithful to believe and speak the truth of your convictions based on God's word and spirit. We start off with Titus chapter 2. He admonished the, the, the leaders there, to, especially Titus, to be strong and sound doctrine, to not deviate from it. We read a couple times that we're to live lives so that others won't malign the word of God. That when they see our life, it matches what the word says. We are to be faithful to believe and speak the truth of our convictions based on God's word or spirit, despite the seasons of the world around us that that we're in. To some degree, everyone wants to be liked by others. The easiest path to that goal is to always speak, act, and live in a way that makes other people feel good about themselves. But this usually involves compromising of truth. Paul warned that these last days would be a time when people with itching ears will flock to those who tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Knowing this, Jesus warns us in Luke chapter 6, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. In that same chapter, he says in verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. We want people to like us, but when it comes down where the rubber meets the road and we've got to stand on the convictions of God's word and express those or act in a way to carry those things out, we're going to face opposition. And so while we are on earth as salt and light, people will be convicted by our words, by our holy living, and for some it will lead to antagonism, to unpopularity, and then even cancer culture in the social media. But here's the question, who is it best to please? Who is it best that we please? 1 Thessalonians 2.4 has always been a real encouragement to me. But just as we have been approved by God, he put a stamp of approval on our lives by saving us. God, by God, to be entrusted with the gospel, he gave us the gospel. 
He could have done a, shared the gospel in many different ways, but he chose through sinners who became believers in Christ to share the gospel. We're entrusted with this gospel. So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So here's the challenge. Be faithful to stay in the word and practice it. We talked about last week, James, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word, James 1. Be faithful to stay in the word and practice it. Second of all, be faithful to share the gospel in word and deed. Balance meeting the physical and emotional needs of a person you're sharing the gospel with, as well as using words to explain how they can have faith in Christ, because that will bring the ultimate healing to their soul for now, but also for into eternity. And lastly, be faithful to pray in the context of where you live right now. So many of us, we wish we could go back to the 50s or 60s or whatever we dream about, or we wish this or that, but we have to live in the here and now, in the present, where we are. And we need to pray. We need to pray. Yeah, we need to pray for revival. We need to pray for revival in our churches and for pastors to stay faithful to the word and believers to do that. That's all important. But we need to understand the times that we're in. And we need to be praying, praying for people around us who are in need. The world around us is quickly becoming more and more agitated with Christianity. And all that goes with it, as we said in the early part of this message. In 1939, just before the outbreak of what would be known as the Second World War, Adolf Hitler was on the move. The dominoes were starting to fall. The British government was facing what Winston Churchill would soon call, quote, an ordeal of the most grievous kind, end of quote. He needed something to bolster the people's flagging spirits. So the British government began producing a series of propaganda posters. And you see one of them up here on the screen. One of them with a bold red background was to be used only in the event of an invasion. That invasion never came, and so the poster was never used. But the slogan on it has lived on and has particular relevance to our day. Keep calm and carry on. Stay true to God's word. The application here is who is it you desire to please the most? Yourself, men or women, or God? In the end, we're going to stand as believers in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to be judged based on this book and what we did with Jesus Christ and what we did with what he gave us with our spiritual gifts and what our motives and what our actions were. Ultimately, that's who we want to please. We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Our key thought is to take away with us this morning and chew on throughout this week is this. What will you do at the beginning of 2021 to allow God to continue the salvation process throughout the days of this new year. I hope you'll think about that. I hope you'll process that. I hope you'll come up with one or two key things that you can do to allow God to allow you to change incrementally on a daily basis. I close with this illustration. In September of 1939, Great Britain, they were allied with France and they were watching as Germany uh, moved into Poland and they were afraid that France, of course, would get invaded, but eventually Great Britain would. And so when King George VI at Christmas of 1939 sat down before two large microphones to make his Christmas Day speech to the nation, 
He dressed in his official uniform as admiral of the fleet. With so many parts of the world facing an uncertain future, the goal was to reassure the people that their nation was prepared and able and their cause was right and just. He said this, the king did, a new year is at hand. We cannot tell what it will bring. If it brings peace, how thankful we shall be. If it brings our continued struggle, we shall remain undaunted. Then he turned to some lines of poetry that his wife had given him to read a few days before. And he offered a word of encouragement that we hope will settle each of our hearts and our minds as we move into this new year. These lines are from a poem called The Gate of the Year, written by Minnie Louise Haskins in 1908. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go into the darkness and put your hand in the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. As you, we make the turn to a new year, what are you and I facing that we need to sink our hand into the hand of God more tightly as we move into this new year? Let's bow for prayer. And maybe you're here today and maybe you say, you know, there's some things that were talked about today or other things that were prompted by the Spirit as we shared what are some new things that I should be doing in my life in 2021. And God's prompting me even here and now to consider making some changes. How I can allow God to make me more into the image of Jesus Christ and be more uh, open to that happening in my life. Or maybe I need to institute more into my life that I need to be thinking more often about how am I glorifying God by what I do or what I say. I don't know what God's prompting your heart, but everyone's head is bowed and eyes closed. I just want to encourage you. If God's prompting you to and speaking to you about some changes that you need to make beginning this new year, I just encourage you to slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. No one is looking around, but if God's prompting you with some changes that you know that you need to make, just slip your hand up, and I'll be glad to pray for you. Yes, anyone else? Yes, anyone else? Father, I thank you that the end of a year should be a time to evaluate and to look into the mirror of your word and to get a true reading of where we are in our relationship with you. And I know for myself, when I do that, I walk away with some things that I didn't do well and things that I did well in the last year, things I need to work on. And I pray for myself and those who have raised their hands today that, God, you will help them to go home and process and think about and not just write down some changes, but you would lead them in a plan of how that will go about. Incremental things that can happen on a daily basis or maybe five days out of a week that when we get back to or when we get to the end of this year and look back, we can see how you've led and how you've worked and how you've changed us. And so, Lord, we pray that we will be open and sensitive to your spirit, sensitive in understanding what sin is and what it truly is and what it looks like in our lives so that we can identify it and that we can truly submit daily to your spirit 
to allow you to have control and to remove the old things so the new things can come and take place in our hearts and lives. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.